Wonderful guys, if everyone could grab their seat, that would be great. Alrighty, fantastic. Well, we go through the Bible each week, we take a next section of scripture and we're going through 1 Peter and we're in chapter 2 verse 13 to 17. If you don't have a Bible in front of you and you'd like one, put your hand up and we'll get one to you so you can read along. Joe at the back will get you one. Otherwise, it should be on the screen as we go through each verse. Wonderful. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honour the emperor. Let's pray. Almighty God, I ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was a dark, gloomy and sombre night when Jesus and his 11 disciples finished their supper and went into the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus went off to pray whilst his disciples slept as they were meant to keep guard. And then in the darkness of that night, the flicker of light, the thud of footsteps and the clang of metal, a band of Roman soldiers and Jewish priests emerge, led by none other than Judas, one of the disciples. And they're here to arrest Jesus and finally put an end to his ministry. Jesus comes forward and asks them, whom do you seek? They reply, They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I am he. At the sounding of those words, the Roman guard falls back onto their feet. At the authority and power of Jesus invoking the Old Testament name of God, the I am, Yahweh. So after they got back up, Jesus asked them again who they were looking for. And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus stepped forward to submit to being arrested. But in a flash, Peter, Jesus' boisterous disciple, steps forward and in a display of zeal brandishes his sword and lashes out in a mistimed stroke, which instead of cutting off the head, cuts off the ear of Malchus, one of the high priest's servants. Presumably, Peter drew his sword to stop this unjust arrest, protect his leader. But instead of praising him for his heroism, his courage, his bravery, his devotion, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And he's led off by this band of soldiers to be arrested, put on trial. The next day, after a night of humiliation and false court proceedings, Jesus is put before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who was in charge of Israel at the time, put in place by Caesar, the emperor himself. Whilst being on trial for being a rival king, 
Jesus says these famous words to Pilate. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. These words are paradigmatic for us in the church. Though we live in the world, we're not trying to establish a kingdom here on earth. We're strangers and exiles. We belong to a different kingdom. We have a different home and and that changes everything about how we relate to the world around us. The goal of the Christian church is not political domination of the world, but spiritual liberation for the world. We are, as we saw two weeks ago, a kingdom of priests. Despite this, we do live in a hostile world, a world which is at war with God, knowingly or unknowingly. And therefore, we can be tempted to either be culture warriors for Jesus or culture withdrawers in fear. So what are we meant to do? Well, last week we saw in verse 11 to 12 that Peter gives general principles that will stand for all the way through chapter 4, verse 11. We saw that we're not meant to fight the world, but fight the war within, our sinful passions. That's where we're meant to wage war. And instead of fighting the world, we're meant to shine to the world the goodness and greatness of Jesus Christ. We don't fight, we don't flee, we remain faithful within. Now this week, Peter continues that theme and and sort of the same question and explains how the church, this new holy nation, as we're called, a new spiritual people group, is meant to relate to the kings and kingdoms of this world. And today I've got three questions to help us investigate this passage and try and understand what it means for us. The big overarching question is this, how do we relate to the kings and kingdoms of this world? So let's look at question number one to kind of dive in and see what this passage has to say. Question number one, what are we meant to do? What are we meant to do? Look at verses 13 to 14 again. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So how do we relate to the kings and kingdoms of this world? Well, very simply, the the principial command is be subject for the sake of the Lord. Be subject for the sake of the Lord. The command here is simple and wide reaching. We're called to obey, to be subject to civil authorities, to order our lives under their order. And this means exactly what we don't want it to. There's no real getting around this verse. It's a clear call for the Christian church to be subject to the governing authorities. Yes, we're a holy nation. Yes, we're a royal priesthood. Yes, we're the new temple. Yes, we're aliens, exiles and strangers. Yes, we're just passing through. Heaven is our home. But whilst we're here, we're to be subject to the governing authorities in our lands. The Christian church is not above the law, but instead the church and its people are to submit ourselves underneath it. Now, obviously, Peter knows that no human government 
is perfect. He's writing during the time of the Roman Empire. We're seeing in our world today uprisings in Iran and Persia. But still, Peter here is giving us a general principle for general times to the church in general. Even when they're mistreated, the response of the church is to be subject to the government. Even when the government is run by pagan immoral people. And he's saying to the Christian church, you you obey them not because they are divine, they're just creatures, but because they have a divinely appointed position. Uh, Romans 13 teaches us that God is the one that puts them in their places of authority. And verse 14 teaches us what good government is meant to do. So the emperor has his deputies, the authorities, and they, in verse 14, are sent to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. Simply, that is, to bring law and order. To punish the evil, to praise those who do good. So without diving into the specifics of when we should disobey, because Peter doesn't actually go into that detail, we derive a very clear application. Obey the governing authorities out of your submission to your cosmic Lord, Jesus Christ. See, Peter, as a disciple, resisted the authorities and was rebuked by Jesus. And the church is to follow in this pattern. And that means our authorities, the federal government, with their tax and their military policy and their welfare, the state government with their education policy and health and policing and law enforcement, the local governments with building codes and roadworks and public health issues and hospitality, DAs, fire codes, even down to your pets at home. We've got chickens and turns out that there's laws about how you're meant to actually have your chickens in your home and realise that we're not exactly following them and so we've got to go look at what we're doing and try and figure out because... Well, we're called to as the Christian church. So obviously we never never obey the government if they call us to sin. But for everything else, well, that's our calling. Now, why is that? Well, that leads us to the second question. Okay, so the first question is, what are we meant to do? Okay, be subject for the sake of the law. The second question, why are we meant to do it? What's the reasoning? Why should we obey the government? Well, there's lots of reasons we could give from the whole Bible. But here, Peter focuses in on two purposes in verse 15. Read verse 15 with me. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You see, Peter is worried about the PR of the church in the Roman land. He he wants the church to be seen as a force for good and good part of the social framework. And so he says that by by obeying the governmental authorities and being upstanding citizens, not rebellious rages, you're actually living out the will of God. And it's God's will that his church would be subject to these authorities. It is an act of worship as the church. Look at verse 13 again. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. It's like God is saying to his church, to us, 
Do it for me. So the first reason that we are meant to obey the government is because it's the will of God. We do it for the Lord's sake. We do it actually out of submission to our King and out of worship to Him. Our Lord Jesus submitted to Pilate and was crucified. He submitted to the Jewish leaders and was condemned. And He calls us to the same. We follow in His footsteps. It is God who created authority and hierarchy. It's God who has appointed kings and rulers and spheres of authority. Broadly speaking, the church has recognised that there's three spheres of government in the world. There's the civil authorities, the rulers, the kings, the emperors. There's the church authority. And then there's the family authority. Three spheres. And each one has interrelated places at which they touch over. And, and that's where we get the questions of when do we disobey? When, when does the church say no to the government? When does the family say no to the... etc., etc.? But that system is designed by God. It's not a man's institution. It's appointed by the Lord. And so as an act of worship, we're actually called to subject ourselves even under a system that we don't like. But that's not all. He gives us another reason in verse 15, a second purpose as to why we're meant to do this. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We obey so that our good deeds will be seen by the world outside and will be used to silence critics who hate the church because of Jesus. See, in, in Roman society they, they, and in the context for these churches, they were looked down upon because they didn't worship the pagan gods. They were seen as unpatriotic. They're not good citizens. Um, if people in the land didn't go with the pagan system, people thought it would bring judgment from the pagan gods upon them. So by the Christians not worshipping Jupiter and Mars and, Rome and you know, the Caesar, they thought it was going to bring judgment upon their land. And in fact, when there was a great famine, they blamed the Christians for not worshipping their gods. And so Peter is saying, okay, what I want you to do is live such good lives among the pagans. I want you to obey and show that you're subject to the authorities without obeying their gods so that they have no accusation they can make against you. Critics are meant to hate the church because of Jesus, not because of our poor conduct. And so where to do good in the world in order to give them no possible grounding or argument? They may or may not be silenced here on earth, you know, that put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, but they will on the last day. We submit so that our good deeds and good citizenry will be seen and give credit to the church and ultimately to Jesus. Peter is giving the church a reason for a positive PR campaign. You may remember about, I don't know, 15 years ago now, um, the Bible Society and the Anglican Church in Sydney did a bunch of surveys and they found out that people in Australia don't like the church, but they do like Jesus. And so they created a campaign, a marketing campaign, actually, that went all throughout Sydney called Jesus All About Life. Because the market research told them that if you promote Jesus, people will get on board. But if you promote the church, people will be like, oh, man, no way. <laughs> And so that's what happened. Uh, churches went out, they put on their bat, you know, and we tried to reach out to all of Sydney. I remember door knocking all these homes in my area and giving out Luke's gospel. Maybe you did the same thing. But Peter here is making an apologetic that we as the church 
which is the outpost and embassy of Jesus Christ, ought to behave in such a way that we give a good name for Christ. So that to speak of the Christian church commends rather than condemns Christ to our culture. Imagine how Christianity would be viewed in our society today if horrific sex acts were not committed on vulnerable children. If pastors didn't prey on weaker people and abuse their positions of power and authority. If preachers didn't promise prosperity, influence and success to believing congregations. If churches didn't run like businesses, churning out spiritual products for ever-increasing gain. If the church preached the gospel itself rather than moralism and legalism. How would, our, how would our society view the church? I'm sure we'd have a much better name in our culture. Instead, the sin of the church has caused the gospel to be in bad repute. And in many respects, we deserve the bad name. Now, this is different to the church standing out on moral issues. We ought to stand out on things that are against what the Bible says, even if it causes us bad PR. But on sin... And the way we treat people, the church ought to be known as a safe place for children and women and those who are vulnerable, not a dangerous place. And so what can we do about it? Well, we go back to what Peter told us last week in verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So put sin to death in yourselves and in our church and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what are we meant to do as a church? Well, we subject ourselves to the government. Why? Because we obey God. Secondly, so that we can display to the world how good God is. I think you can take verse 12 and 15, put them together and make an argument that we ought to have public and good involvement in our community as Christians. How will they be able to see our good deeds and glorify God or be silenced when they critique us if we only ever do our good things here in private, in church, or just privately to one another? No, this verse, these verses are teaching us as a church, God expects us to be doing public acts of goodness, to be living out in the world and shining in the world that we live. That's what we do as exiles. As a sojourning church waiting for heaven, we're not all insular. We're meant to actually be a witness. And this is exactly what um, Israel was meant to be as well. When they were in exile, they'd been cast out of Israel because of their sin. God sent them to Babylon. And Babylon is like any of our major cities today, a place of wickedness against God. It was a very hard place to be a faithful Jew and look at the surprising words that Jeremiah the prophet penned, sent by letter, courier all the way out to Babylon, a long way away from where, they were in, where he was in Israel, to the exiled people who were away from their promised land, away from the temple. This is what Jeremiah said from the God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. 
For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Isn't that really interesting? That the Jewish people and us, we have the same task when we're on exile, when we're not home yet. We're to live abundant and good lives. We're to be a blessing to our community and our neighbourhood. We're to seek the welfare of our city because in its welfare, we experience our welfare. Put roots down. Live, love and serve God. Because God is building the city of God in the middle of the city of man. Remember, Israel wasn't taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar though that is what looked like on the human level, they were sent by God. And the reason why we have a church here in Parramatta is we were sent by God. The reason why each one of us still has breath in our lungs is we are sent here by God to be a witness to our city and seek its welfare. Philip Ryken in his commentary on Jeremiah says, the exiles were not captives, they were missionaries. The exiles were not captives, they were missionaries. And that's our calling too. Wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you now call home, well, you were sent there by God to work, to raise your family, to plant, to grow, to be the church here in Parramatta. And therefore, we're to do good for our community. Practically, What that means is that we can be involved in our world and our community, the soccer club and being on the committee, the parents' committees at school, local bush regeneration, non-church-based aid organisations, being involved in your workplace or school, making it a better person. Be the morning tea person that brings hospitality to your workplace or your school or wherever you're at. It means potentially moving into Parramatta rather than out of Parramatta so that you can be in and amongst the community here, being involved, being invested, seeking the welfare of the neighbourhood around us. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what it looks like for your life group, but I think this verse is teaching us that how do we live in a world that's hostile? How do we live in a world where we're meant to be subject to these rulers and authorities? Well, we don't rebel. We be subject We do it as worship and we do to shine Jesus out from here out into the world. The third question to help us understand this passage is, well, how are we meant to go about doing that? What does it look like practically? So we've seen what are we meant to do? Be subject for the sake of the Lord. Why are we meant to do it? For worship and for witness. How are we meant to do it? Verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Notice the shift there. After all this talk of submission, Peter then flips the conversation and talks about freedom. He tells us that we are to live as people who are free in this world. That sounds disjunctive, doesn't it? He's saying, you don't have to obey Caesar. You're God's child. You're free. Caesar is not your God. And so you are actually a free citizen because God is your king. But we don't use our freedom as a cover up for evil. So we're not meant to say, oh, well, I'm free from Caesar. Therefore, I can just do whatever I want. I don't have to pay taxes or obey the speed limits. I'm a child of God. Heaven is my home. (laughs) You'll get there soon, too, if you speed. No. Because Peter gives a third little section. He says, 
Although we are free with regards to the rulers of this world through Christ's work on the cross, we are now slaves of God. And so we freely obey the rulers out of our submission to God. So we're free on earth because we're slaves of God. Make sense of that. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, he's saying that we don't have to do it out of subjection, out of fear, out of thinking, oh, if I don't obey Caesar, what if the gods get me? No, no, no. We live as free citizens. No one can tell us what to do because we have one king. But our one king has told us what to do, which is follow this, you know, be subject to the authorities around us. So we live with this tension. We're free slaves, free to this world, but slaves of God. We've subjected ourselves to a new Lord, a new master. And in him, in our slavery to God, we have true freedom because he never misuses his authority. He never calls us to do things that will not be for our good. He never takes advantage of us, but instead works all things together for our good. Now, I think for us, majority of us, our temptation is not really to reject government and set up an anti-authoritarian institution. I think most of us are very law-abiding citizens. And the funny thing about Australia is that Australians think of themselves as sort of rebellious, but actually reality is Australians are incredibly law-keeping people. Just look at the last two and a half years of lockdowns and the way people shame people that don't obey the rule. You see, the thing about Australia is that, according to historian David Hurst, he says this, the Australian people despise politicians, but the politicians can extract an amazing degree of obedience from the people, while the people themselves believe they are anti-authority. Isn't that funny? How is this so? Well, he says, Australians are suspicious of persons in authority, but towards impersonal authority, they are very obedient. What this means for us as a church is we're very likely to obey the rules, but hate the rulers. So our sin is not going to be so much uprising. You know, you don't have to tell me what to do. I'm free. But our problem is we're going to be suspicious of authority and most likely downgrade the authorities above us, dishonor them, slander them, mock them, abuse them and never take them seriously. And so Peter ends in in verse 17 and says this. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. We're good at that. Honor the emperor. Honor Nero. That was who was the emperor at the time. Honor Nero, the pagan. Honor Nero, the one who is not honorable. Why? Because he's in that position put there by God. So not only are we to be subject, I think we're actually going to be fine with that. But our bigger challenge, I think, will be to give honor where honor is due. So how do we go about living in this way? Well, we live as free people. Caesar's not our God. We're slaves of God and therefore we do it for him. And we do it in a way that honors the rules as we, uh, the rulers as we keep the rules. So we can't be like, well, we're keeping the rules, but you know, I hate, I hate the rulers. No, no, no. We keep the rules and honor the rulers 
in general. Okay, obviously there's times when we have to rebel, there's times when we have to resist, but this, Peter's not giving any, you know, difference. He's not, he's not nuancing, he's just saying this is what it is, do it. So there we come back to John 18 where Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. So how do we relate to the kings and kingdoms of the world? Well, Peter's told us, be subject for the sake of the Lord. But David Helm in his commentary says this, the principle of submission in this section is not our foundation. Instead, submission defines the Christian's ways because being like the Saviour describes the Christian's goal. You see, the main motivation in this section is not actually the passage I read. The main motivation comes a little bit later in Richie's text for next week. The main motivation for obeying everything is being like Jesus, who himself was subject to the authorities, to God, to Rome, and even to Israel. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 24. This will help your heart to actually want to do what these verses say in verses 13 to 17. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see, in Christ and his death, we're saved. Our sins have been forgiven. We don't obey these verses because God's going to get us. We obey them because he's already got us and because we want to be like our Savior. David Helm continues and says, It is for this reason that Christian men and women gladly and voluntarily put on the garments of submission. We're not operating out of some blind adherence to a rigid principle, but rather out of love for the one with whom we have a relationship. At the end of the day, Christians willingly submit themselves to people in authority because we desire our lives to be pleasing to someone, not something. So let's not get caught up on the principle, the rule, be subject, okay? No, it's more about looking to Christ and following in His example and seeing what He did. And then we go, okay, well, I want to be like Him, which means, oh, okay, I've got to be subject to the authorities around me. That's the logic of this pattern, uh, of this passage. So I know there's a lot there, uh, and it's, it's more of a teaching sermon today. But here's our three questions. What are we meant to do? Be subject for the Lord's sake. Why are we meant to do it? Well, we do it for the Lord out of worship and to bring positive PR to His church here on earth. How are we meant to do it? Well, we do it as free slaves, free to this world, but slaves of God. So we submit freely, not out of fear, not out of compulsion, but out of honour to God. And we honour the rulers appropriately because of their God-given place. Our kingdom is not of this world, and our king is not of this world. And one day there will be a time when he returns, 
and he will judge the world for all of its sin. And he will bring upon everyone and bring every ungodly system to account. And between the now and the not yet, we long for that day when true justice and true kingship and true government will reign. Let's join together in prayer and then we'll rise up to sing a song celebrating the glorious Christ. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to live out these truths. I find it hard. I don't want to do it. I ask that you would help myself and my friends to be subject for your sake to every human authority and institution. I pray and ask that we would be moved by the example of our Saviour who allowed himself to be arrested and tried and crucified to obey you and to obey the authorities around him. And God, I pray and ask that you would use us as a church and you would lead us by your Holy Spirit to know how to live such good lives among the pagans that though they attempt to accuse us of doing wrong, though they want to speak against the church of Parramatta, they won't be able to because of all the good that we do and all the way in which we shine your goodness and your greatness. And so, Lord, we plead with you, please help us to do this uh, for your namesake and for your glory. Amen.